0: because we want to make sure uh, that text, that whatever text we're going to be doing is going to be founded and it's going to be birthed from that historical account, okay? And so um, hopefully that has just even reminded you and just get your heart just excited about the historical reality of Jesus. What I want you to do now, I want you to stand with me and we're going to read the text that we're going to actually go through, uh, which actually flows from this text, because uh, what we're going to look at is 2 Timothy. So stand with me as we read the scriptures. If you need a Bible... um, Raise your hand, we'll give that to you. It should be on the screen as well. When you're there and say, He is risen, that was it. Thank you. See some obedient Christians in the house. All right, guys. The scriptures read Therefore, and I'm going to propose to you uh, that's embedded, obviously, as the text before, but I'm going to propose to you that when you see those therefores, really, it's because of the gospel. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Isn't that good? Before the ages began. He had given this stuff to us, guys. Verse 10, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Is that good? Mm. Let me pray. Spot your hands, please. Dear Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you've done. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you guide me? Would you allow uh, this your holy name to be proclaimed today? Would you fill us uh, with the joy of the gospel? Holy Spirit, we pray that you bring glory to Christ through this time, that we would learn more about the resurrection, but it wouldn't just be information. Uh, we would become more worshipful. We would adore you more. We would see you more clearly, and that you would do that in our hearts. It wouldn't be us trying to conjure that up. For those here right now who maybe have been doing church for a while, maybe religious, but have not experienced that that new creation that you promise, the circumcision of the heart, Lord, would you do that in our lives? Would you make the unbeliever a believer today? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here's what we're going to do. Um, So this text here is an interesting text as we flow through it, guys. Um, What I want to encourage you with, though, uh, is we're going to do it a little unorthodox uh, because if you look at the verses, actually, we're going to start with verse 10, and we're going to work our way back Uh, because verse 10, um, actually, verse 89, I would say, uh, assumes that you are understanding uh, the the theological meat of verse 10. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to hit verse 10 to make sure that um, those assumptions are reality, that we will understand what's happening in verse 10. And through that, we would see uh, the assumptions of verse 8 and 9 as we try to understand uh, and answer a lot of questions that I think, um, well, I know the resurrection answers, uh, what Easter Sunday answers. Questions like uh, why we die? What happens uh, after we die? Um, why was it important for Jesus to, to die and rise from the dead? Um, what's the purpose of my life? See, see the thing is, the, the, the resurrection, what it does is it, it, it answers those questions. It exposes those questions. It, it, it provides us with clarity. And so uh, hopefully this text will, will encourage us and we'll have um, extreme clarity. So uh, let's get right to work by looking at verse 10. It says, And which now uh, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality, to light through the gospel. Um, we have to start, so we, I think if we're going to start somewhere, we have to start with this sense of, of, of understanding this, the word that we don't like to talk about much, and that's death, okay? Um, before we could talk about abolish death, we need to talk about death. And, and death, um, I mean, that isn't a word in our culture uh, that's absolutely taboo. I mean, it, it just makes you feel weird. Um, you, just, you just don't know what to do with it, you know? Uh, and, and you look at our, you look at our culture, uh, I'm blown away at, at all the money we spend on trying to stay alive. Uh, you, you think of all the surgeries and inventions and, and all the things we try to do uh, to stay alive. Uh, I would propose to you the reason why there's so much stuff uh, to, to try to prolong our life. In fact, uh, there's even medical records. I know we have doctors in the house. You have people, uh, they, they, their brains are, you know, barely working, uh, they, they're not moving at all, and then we'll still keep them on support. For So long. The question is why? When you know that it's over, they're not going to come back. I propose because it's this, it's this issue of, of, of not knowing like what's behind that curtain of death. It's that, it's that I propose even our, our sin of pride, which shows itself through consumption, uh, births itself through this perspective of like, oh my goodness, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I better get as, uh, get, 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 get as much as I can. Because one day I'll be gone. And so we find ourselves whether, if we really pause and look at our life, the way we consume, the way we relate, that a lot of what we do is because of this fear, this anxiety that we have about death. In fact, I want to propose that that's what, that, that the result of that brought Job uh, to ask the question, remember the famous question he asked in Job fourteen fourteen: If a man dies, will he live again? See, we ask that question, right, because we feel like, man, like death is something we want to avoid. It's, it builds anxiety, and, and I'm just hoping, is this it? Right? I hope not. Is there more? And that's the question before us. But before, before we can answer that question, we need to deal with another issue. Why do we die? Why is it, why do we, like, why does one die? What was it, were we created to die like this? Absolutely not. I want to take you to uh, the Genesis account. You can write this address down. In Genesis 3, uh, there is a theological premise that's known uh, as the fall, Okay? Let me just explain it to you briefly. What happens is what God does, he did not create us to to die. He created us to live uh, because he's a living God. And what he did was he created you and me out of the abundance of his love, out of the abundance of his care. And what he does, he creates us to, to bear his image. He creates us with love and says, what I want you to do is I want you to remind me of myself. I want you to go around, and I want you to do what I would do and take care of things the way I would take care of them. So individual relationships, this earth, all of this was God saying, here's your playground. He's saying, I want you to do with it what I would do, because that will bring me worship. I want you to relate the way I relate, because that will honor me. But what happened was we, we had the audacity to think we could become our own gods, right? and then we rebelled against a holy, beautiful, just, abundantly loving God who given us everything, and sin into the world. As you see here. So God, man, we reject God, we, we betray God, and sin is introduced into the world. And what happens is death, I will propose to you, is only a precursor of, that, of the despair that we experience because of sin. Is that now we are, we are brought into this realm of decay, we're brought into this realm of death, and there's no way out. And that's for the whole human race. And so whenever whenever you see someone die, the reason why it feels yucky and it feels weird, and when you go up to the casket, you just, I mean, even as a pastor, it's just bizarre. Can't get used to it. Because I'm proposing to you that it's unnatural. That it wasn't supposed to be that way. That's why it feels weird. And it reminds you and me that this is where we're headed that because of our rebellion, because of our evil, he says, this is just a precursor of an eventual eternal death. I'm just reminding you of what you're going to get. See, the, the morbid reality, why we don't like to talk about this, is because contrary to popular opinion, when you see a death certificate and it says the cause is this, the cause is cancer, the cause is that, I propose no, those are all lies, Every cause should be sin, cause of death, sin. He died, cause of death, sin. That's why we die. All those other things are just things that death uses to make us dead. We die because we're evil and because God is just. Now, that's, that's pretty bad news. So death is a direct result of man's sin. Continue on, please. But I want to propose to you that, that, that God had the opportunity. He could have. He would have been totally just. And this blows me away when I think about the issue of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he should have destroyed us. He could have destroyed us. He is just to destroy us because we're evil. We're filthy rags. We rebelled against a good, holy God, but he doesn't. He doesn't. What he does is he provides another gift. He provides mercy. He provides Jesus. And that's what the resurrection is all about. That's what Easter is all about. Easter is about Jesus saying, I'm going to go to the grave, and then I'm going to come back and tell you about it. That's what Easter is about. He conquers death. What Jesus does is d- the Father is gracious to place our sin, our rebellion, our evil on Jesus, right? Right? by murdering him, by spilling his blood, by breaking his body on our behalf, his perfect only son, God himself. And then in doing so, he doesn't just say, I'm going to cleanse you, right? He doesn't just place the sin of us on Jesus and cleanses us. But then what he does is he places our righteousness, imputes, he places our righteousness on us. He takes his righteousness and says, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you clean always tell people, like, it's, it's almost like what Jesus does, he says, now, see, some people think the gospel is Jesus dies, make you clean, and then says, now stay clean. That's not, the, that's not good news because I'm <laughs> jacked up. That's horrible news. If you say, now nah, i got to stay clean, the gospel is that Jesus dies, he then takes your sin, and when he imputes righteousness, it's almost like he sprays spiritual stain guard on you. It says, guess what? Sin's going to still come, but they're going to fall right off, and you're going to stay clean and you're going to remain clean until I come back. And see, what I love about that is Jesus does it. Jesus grabs you, he does the cleaning, and he keeps you clean until he returns. That's the beauty of the gospel. So now it's not about you. It's about Jesus. See, that's good news. That's arbitration. You know what I'm saying? I do arbitration. I sit with two people filed and I'm like, okay, now you need to talk. And you need to, No, no. What Jesus does, he says, man, God the Father is about to kill you. He's about to destroy you. Let me, do, let me do some arbitration. I'll actually be murdered for you. I'll spill my blood for you. I'll shed my blood for you. See, that's arbitration, right? My little wimpy arbitration, I ain't trying to go on a cross with nobody. But he paid the price for you and me. That's the gospel. Now, we have to deal with something here, though. We see here it's talking about death. We understand now that Jesus has come to say, hey, I'm going to deal with death. I'm going to take take death. I'm going to conquer death. But there's an issue here. It talks about in the scripture there, it says uh, that Jesus Christ abolished death. And I think there's an issue here because people still die, right? If Jesus abolished death and The resurrection happened 2,000 years ago, and why are people still dying? Right? People still getting cancer? Are people still sick? Tragic murders? Kids in situations that are horrible? We look at the world and we go, wow. If Jesus is victorious and he's reigning right now, he's done all this, then what's up with the world? What's up with my life? A lot of us are saying. We're looking at our families and we're looking at the brokenness, and we can't reconcile the two. And I want to propose what this text is doing, what the gospels are trying to do, is trying to reorient the way you're looking at life. See, the word abolish means to render powerless. It's not to be non-existent anymore. It's that death no longer has power. You understand? It's almost like what Jesus is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross for us, on which, by the way, you guys, some of you guys were at the Good Friday service, right, and you thought Leon had a nervous breakdown when he walked out the room, right? The reason why he walked out the room is because we wanted you to understand something that happened in the first century. Remember, King Jesus, he's the king of all, right? He has these guys following him. They're following him. They're seeing him heal. They're seeing him prov- provide miracles. All of a sudden, they're powerful Jesus is now has thorns on him. He's beaten where you can see his flesh. He's naked. He's hanging up on a cross. He can't breathe. He has stab wounds. They're seeing their Savior absolutely mutilated in front of them, and he just dies. And what we wanted you to feel there, just as Leon walked out of the room and you thought, now what? We wanted you to feel that. Can you imagine the disciples? Their Savior is on a tree dead. They're thinking three years. Now what? Now what? What do I do now? Where do I go? No, he didn't tell me. He didn't say after I die, make a left on, you know, Eve Street, and then you'll see a nice little room Into three. None of that. There's no instructions. They were just left there emotionally naked because their Savior was gone. You see that? So just just to help you understand, that's what was happening. We were trying to retell that story. It obviously worked because y'all was like, now what? What? Christians no longer exist under the reign of death. I want you to understand something. What happens? Jesus dies. They're thinking now what What Jesus does. He, he, goes, he goes into the depths of hell, grabs the keys, and I, and I don't like to give Satan too much power because here's the reality. Satan is a created angel, right? Jesus created Satan, okay? He's just an angel. And now, angels are way more powerful than us, but to God, it wasn't like he, they were fighting over the keys. It was, Satan was sitting there shuddering, and Jesus walked over, grabbed the keys, and then looked at Satan actually thumped him into, into the abyss, into death, into the second death, and then one day he's going to put him in the lake of fire. There was, no, there was no huge battle with God. I mean, for heaven's sake, when you look at Daniel, right, there are other angels fighting Satan and winning, other angels. Do you think Jesus was tussling with Satan? Absolutely not. I, I guarantee you Satan was in a corner somewhere going, just don't beat me yet, Jesus, please. And Jesus walks over, he grabs the keys, of death, and then he actually looks at the rock. He probably, I don't even think he even said anything. Who knows? Because he spoke creation in existence. Do you think moving a rock for Jesus was an issue? Kind of looked at it. Rock rolls away, he walks out triumphant. Walks out like, what's up now? Alright. See, the reality, the reality is that Jesus is saying, Death no longer has power over you and me that what he did was he conquered death, and now death no longer has sting. He's taken it away. Continue on. That's, these verses here, think about it now. That's why when you see uh, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, it's, it's that, 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 that issue of rain, that, that, that death becomes redefined. Death becomes a, sort of like a, a momentary pause. It becomes, it's no longer curse written, but it's a blessing, right, because it takes us to our Savior where we can be face to face. He just changes the whole definition of death now. You see that? Look what it says. Death is a transition from one stage to another. That's what he means when he talks about 1 Philippians 1, 21. To live in Christ, to die is gain. Why? Who would say that before the, before the cross and resurrection? Who was talking like that? No. Joe was going, what happens when I die? But now people are saying, when I die, I actually get to experience true life. I get to, I get to see the things that I was living in faith now. I get, this is going to be awesome. And that's why people didn't know what to do with Paul. Paul's like, if I'm still on earth, I get to preach the gospel, praise the Lord. If you kill me, I get to be with King Jesus. What do you want to do? They didn't have a clue. What do I do with this guy? I don't want to bless him and kill him. But if I leave him here, he's going to tell more people about Jesus. And they're scratching their head in a coffee shop somewhere. Why? Because death no longer has its sting. Think about it, guys. Think of a bee, right? I love what Jesus does. You think of a bee. The, the way you take away the threat of a bee, okay, is when you actually get stung. That bee can't harm you anymore. You understand? That bee can, st- can be around you, but it can't harm you anymore because the stinger is in you. It's done. What Jesus does is he takes the venom of the sting of death. That's why when you sing those songs, death no longer has no sting. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? That's what he's saying is that death still, it can buzz around, but it can't sting you. It's around, people still dying, but it absolutely shouldn't bring fear to me or to you if you love Jesus because it does not have its sting any longer. That's the beauty of the resurrection. Oh, death, where is your victory? You have no victory because my king has taken a venom where I don't have to take it anymore. That's the good news. Look what he says here, though. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality uh, to light through the gospel. I want to propose that what death is now is not a curse for us, those who love Jesus. It's still a curse for you if you're playing games and you don't love Christ. You're still under that. You're still an enemy of God. You're still still in that realm of destruction, being destroyed, decaying, and will eventually decay and experience eternally, eternal, this mutilation, and I can't even describe it, but you don't have to. What you can experience is the joy of knowing, man, that death doesn't have a sting anymore and that Jesus is king. He's taking it all. And look what it says here. I want to propose, i want to give you a little snapshot of what's going on. So basically, I want to propose that the scriptures teach that when you become a Christian, actually you die, right? I always say you still die, but the difference between me and a guy, if I'm talking to in a coffee shop, I say we both die, but I don't stay dead. That's the difference. See, as as an unbeliever, you die, and the Bible says then you arise to go into the second death. That's what Revelation says. And then in the second death, you are actually in hell, and then you're thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, you're all over the place, okay? But the Bible says for the believer is that I die, and then I rise. And I rise immortal. I rise with a new body. I get to participate in the kingdom. So so what happens is you enter death, you enter into enter sleep, basically as sort of the synonym for death, right? But I don't even know theologically, I propose to you it's kind of like just like that, because the scriptures are clear that when people were dying, they were with the Lord right after death. So I'm gonna propose then you're in the presence of the Lord in the realm of heaven. So you so if I die right now, I'm, I'm telling you that the scriptures teach that by God's by God's grace, I'm immediately in a realm, in the sphere. It's the sphere you cannot see right now, but it's here. I'm in the sphere of heaven. I always try and teach this local body that heaven isn't like next to Saturn somewhere, and I'm going to rocket ship off somewhere, all right? I know we like left behind and stuff, but that's not biblical. But basically in the sphere, all right, in the sphere of heaven, I'm going to be with Jesus and enjoying the Lord and worshiping the king, right? And then what happens one day... As The scriptures talk about we will return and resurrect the bodies at the return of Jesus, okay? That the reason, the reason why Jesus, even probably one of the reasons he became humanity and actually died and rose are two reasons. First, to affirm creation, right? Him becoming creation affirms that he, that is good, okay? But also to show us, to preview to us what we will be like. See, that's the thing when you look at them walking in Luke 24 and they're hanging out and he's kind of like, they're looking at this guy and they're kind of not really recognizing but they kind of do. This happens many times in the Gospels. Why? Because the Gospel writers try to help us understand something about actually the resurrection. He's trying to help you understand that your glorified body, Jesus, guys, was not a hologram, okay? They didn't go, Jesus, wow, wow, went right through Jesus. No, that's not what happened. Jesus, the whole point was that he was glorified flesh. Okay, he was, he's, his body rose, and that he did not, he was in the tomb for three days. He should have looked jacked up. He should have had some worms falling out of his ears. It should have been crazy, right? That was not the case. They did not go, ah, they weren't scared. They were beautified by him. They were watching him and marveling like, oh, my goodness, he's eating fish. That's what they were doing. They were seeing a dead man who was alive now, and he was perfect in his body. And Jesus was telling us in Corinthians that our bodies is is kind of like a seed right now. That it's not that God is going to destroy this place or just destroy us and make us something different. It's that we are a seed. And when we die, He's going to take that seed, whatever it may be, how decomposed it may be, and then He's going to rise you and He's going to glorify you. He's going to make you have a resurrected body. We don't be like, really? Well, what about the guy who's in ashes now? It's God. He's not going to go, oh, man, I would have hooked you up, man, if you'd have more bones. That's, that, we're thinking like humans. You follow me, guys? And I get it. We, we, we want to understand everything, but I tell you, we got we to gotta ask the Lord, if I understand everything about you, then are you God? I don't want to understand everything about Jesus because that makes him here and I'm here. But what I do is I see him clearly telling me, that this is what's going to happen. I just want to excite you about that. So we return to resurrected bodies, and then we'll exist immortal and incorruptible like Jesus. You hear me? You'll come to my house, and Alex, you don't got to wash your hands no more. Amen. Just go right in and grab some chips. Immortal. No germs. No flu. Incorruptible. We're not hating on each other. We're We're just perfect in the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you I mean we it's just so we can't imagine that it should bring you it should just get you excited one day the Lord is gonna do that. That's who you're gonna be. Continue on. So with that in mind, that's verse 10. Those are the assumptions. Now we understand that we get to these verses, and now I want to pause and I want to I wanna challenge our community. This is where I feel our community struggles. Here's where we struggle as I neighbor. Here, here it is right here, verse 8 and 9. I think we learn new things in verse 10 about the resurrected body and things of that sort, and that's very important. But you know, one thing as I'm kicking it with brothers, as I'm kicking it with friends in my community, I'm realizing this was my issue growing up, this is my issue with my families to date, is there something about, there's something about having the facts, but still not having a belief where those facts become salvific. There's, some, there's a disconnect to, to gospel information and the implications of your life and how do, how do they affect one another. And for some reason, there seems to be a disconnect in our community. Let me say it another way. I'll be talking with a bruh, and they'll hear me, and they're not disagreeing about the gospel. They're not disagreeing about the historical reality of Jesus they're really saying, man, I, I hear you, man, but I don't know what that got to do with my life. I need to go hustle. Or I still, wanna, I still want some honeys. I still want, that, I still want that chick on the side. And, and for some reason, there's a disconnect to the reality of the gospel and, like, how it says, okay, if that's gospel truth and I believe that and God does something in my heart, then I'm not going to be cheating on my girlfriend. What does it look like to, to have integrity, to live like this? You see what I'm saying? There seemed to be something, there, and, and I'm proposing this verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9, it seems like, like, like Paul is encouraging that piece, that there's implications if you believe verse 10. There's implications. It has to affect your life. So how and why does the gospel matter, guys? Gospel belief changes a person and its purpose. Look at the scriptures, guys. You see this? Verse 9 See, before you are saved, it's about your calling, right? It's about your purpose, right? It's it's about you feeling like you just came here and you got to do what you got to do and get yours and and make it happen and stick your flagpole in life and kind of just make the best out of things until you die. But when, when God takes those blinders off and you're sitting here and you're hearing gospel truth, God is saying, okay, you can live like that, but don't fool yourself. If you're gonna keep living like that, don't just understand you're not understanding gospel truth. Because if you get that Jesus Christ died for you, he is your king, and now your whole life has been reoriented because the Lord says he takes your heart and he circumcises it and he makes it flesh. He says he now gives you an opportunity and he gives you the power and the spirit to love him, to like righteousness, to like being like him, to like proclaiming him. He says he does this work in you. This is supernatural work that he does. Then I'm proposing to you that fruit is absolutely paramount at some point. We don't like to hear that. But I'm proposing to you that there there can't be a necessarily disconnect there. It changes. Your whole purpose changes now. It's it's not about you. It's about Jesus' purposes. It's not about your calling. It's about the calling that God has placed upon you as a missionary, If you're born again, you become a missionary because now your whole life is no longer about making your name great, but making Jesus' name great. That's the whole point of life. And then what God does, only the gospel, that, that was your life before you were a Christian. It's just that deep. Jesus, by his grace, exposes and shows you that and says, actually, I know you thought it was about you. Now you're 24. It's about me. Can you be about me now? I'm gracious like that. And for some reason, guys, we choose to not grab that mantle, grab that baton. And there's a huge disconnect. And so in our community, and our neighbors, in our lives, we don't earn salvation. God is gracious. But God is saying that there is something that happens in the rebirth, in the rebirthing of you as a new creation where it shows you're going to be like your daddy. Now, there's some common dangers with that reality, Okay. So that's the reality. There's some dangers, though, with resurrected living. That's all we're talking about, is that Jesus rises from the dead, and then he he raises you from the dead. That's what he does. That's the whole whole thing. We retell Jesus' story, right? Then we live a life suffering like he suffered. That's what we do. So the lie is we appropriate the gospel as we see fit, okay? We can say, hey, you know what? I heard the gospel. It was awesome, great facts. Now I'll just do what I want to do with it. I'm proposing, that's a lie. That, 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 to, to, to take the gospel and then say, now I'm going to massage it to fit my needs, to meet me where I'm at, right, to just misinterpret scripture, you've missed the understanding of the gospel. But actually the truth is the gospel reorients our life. Your life changes. The gospel doesn't change. We don't like that. And I get in trouble all the time. Because I proposed to you, and a guy told me this, and I didn't believe him. I'm going to write him a note, man, next week or so. He told me this my freshman year in college when I came to Christ. Pastor Wynn Clark at Oxford Bible Fellowship sat me down as I was growing in leadership. He said, Eric, I'm going to tell you something. When you get the gospel right, people will always call you a heretic. I thought, huh? He said, because in the gospel, there is a tension, it's not all grace. It's not all works. It's grace, umbrella, but the true believer looks like Jesus. And when you lead people to that, people are going to play you and call you names and say you're different things. Are you ready for that? I thought, no, nah, man, you just don't know how to do it like me, bruh. <laughs> that's just you. I'm going to write him home. I'm going to say, man, you're so right because that's what we get. We get that. When you try to live the integrity of the gospel, where Jesus said, actually, if you keep talking about you an orange and pears keep falling off the tree, at some point, we got to talk about you being a pear. And the world tells you to keep calling you an orange because you said you was an orange. So I can walk right here all I want. I'm a white guy, I'm a white guy, I'm a white guy. At some point, point, one of what are y'all better go, no, man, you're a brother. I'm, just, I'm keeping it real. That's a struggle for us. The truth is, the gospel reorients your life, guys. It looks different in everyone's life. God is more gracious than all of us. I don't know how that plays out. I'm just proposing to you. That's the biblical truth. I am Jesus, right? Now, I got the prophetic call to say, hey you, look like, hey, you look like you're not being an orange, but man, God knows who's who, to be clear. The second lie and truth, I'm gonna propose from this picture here, guys we wait for God to rescue us from this place. This, help, this hurts us in our prophetic witness and what we're going to be about. And I just, I long for our community to get this. And that is that what happens is we come to Christ, we say yes to Jesus, and then we think what's happened is that we need to move from SS Earth, right? We're on this ship, and we come to Jesus, and we think, well, man, now i got to get on the sailboat of salvation, right? So we kind of hop here, right? And that's what we do. And we, and we think that there's a tension between the earth and what we're doing here and the salvation uh, that we received, okay? Uh, but at the same time, what's happening while we're thinking that is if you know they're, go- they're both going the same direction, is that what God is doing with creation, he's doing it with you. You follow me? You're not, on some, you're not on some other trajectory. Humans aren't on this trajectory and creation's on this trajectory, right? Like Romans 8, when you read Romans 8 and it talks about creation groaning, it's not groaning saying, oh, Lord, I can't wait for you to destroy this world. That's not what, what creation is doing. Creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed and it's groaning for new creation, For God to make new the issues in creation. For God to take the earthquakes and not allow them to kill people. For God to take all the things in creation. He is going, what he's going to do is he's not going to destroy this. He's going to perfect it. And in him perfecting the world, that's what it talks about with new creation, the heavens and the earth merging. It's not that earth gets obliterated and explodes and then he, now we're off in some world here and this is heaven. It's that what he's going to do is he's going to to glorify creation, the earth, the people, the trees, everything. And it's going to be like it was intended before the fall. That's what he's going to do. He's going to pre-fall this thing. And so with that being said, what Jesus tells us is when new creation occurs, he says, I want it to occur first in the people. So the way that new creation bursts into this messed up world is by through His people, through us. And then what we do is then we're here and we don't, we're not to jump on a boat of salvation, but we're actually to understand that he saves all of this. And so we don't need another boat. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to be agents of new creation here. He wants to, uh, us to participate here, and that's why he wants us to, to take the arts and music and to take engineering and to take, uh, you know, an auto clinic and to do all the things that we do but do them like Christians do them so that we can remind the world that new creation is happening now and that we get to be participants because that's what he did. He rose from the dead and said, I'm, I'm here. I'm showing you what's going to happen, Now, be my missionaries. Does that make sense, guys? Very important. If we miss this, we don't know why we're here still. We're kind of just like, well, when are you going to do this, Jesus? Instead of being here and being excited about being a kingdom participant in his beautiful creation that he's going to perfect one day. God wants us to be active participants in this new world family. Creation and redemption are never intention. Never. They're always benefactors. God redeems creation. The final, the final misconception, mis, mis, uh, guys, is uh, that right relationship with God is based on conduct. So, you, so here's that tension, right? So I am just went off about your, it reorients your life. Your life needs to change. But at the very same time, if you're just trying to do it, you're making a mockery of the gospel. If you're going, okay, thanks for saving me, Jesus. Now I'll be perfect. Thanks for saving me, Jesus. Now I won't watch porn. Now, now i be faithful. Now i do all these things. I'll, and the focus in life is I can't sin. i got to be perfect because Jesus was perfect. You, you missed it. Galatians 1 says, who bewitched you? How do you think you can come to salvation by grace and then try to work it out in your own strength? Unmerited favor, the Bible calls it, grace. That you don't deserve it. You deserve death and hell. But what God does is he gives us grace. He says, I'm going to make you my child because I'm just cool like that. What happens? Um, I want to explain uh, the truth here through a, through a story in my own life. So, right relationship with God, um, with God is based on conduct. I want to tell you a story about uh, Trader Joe's, which I think uh, helps me understand this concept. So that my, that's my crew. Uh, we're missing Carter Carter wasn't born yet. Uh, we're in Trader Joe's, hanging out. And um, to understand this concept of like, of, of kingdom living is not about our conduct, but about God's grace. I just, I watch, I watch Sarah, my, my, my beautiful wife, take our kids to Trader Joe's, okay? And if you're a parent, you're gonna, you're gonna totally, you're gonna get this. And you guys can see this. I mean, we've all been kids before. As they're walking through Trader Joe's, what usually happens is we have a big cart and they have these two little carts. There's little carts at Trader Joe's. And so they're going around and they've gotten more, they're better at it now. But the reality was, in the beginning, they want to help. They just wanted to participate, right? And so they would go around, and they'll be putting, you know, Sarah would give them the bana- some of the bananas so they can fill up their, their carts too. Uh, they would want, to, want to stop at this place and get a little, you know, a little snack. Uh, sometimes, you know, things would drop, <laughs> bruising apples, you know, trying to get them in the cart. Uh, sometimes, you know, maybe almost bumping people or being in the way people can't get through, right, while they're, while they're shopping with mom. Uh, we come to the, you know, I've, I've, I've obviously shopped with them a few times, and we'll go to the front, and now it's, all, it's like, it's just as crazy. They're, You know, they're like, wait a minute. And so they want to put the stuff on the counter. And they want to tell uh, the, the cash register person everything that they put on the counter. You know, so they're grabbing, they're like, bananas, you know, and they're like, this is apples, and this is, you know, hummus, you know, and, and, they, would, and they would literally go through each thing, and they would tell her. Uh, or, the, or the guy, you know, just and have it all, and sometimes the stuff's dropping and everything. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, this is just like Jesus. I'm thinking, you know what? Here we are. We're in this place. And, and Sarah could definitely do this way better than them. In fact, they're probably hindering the process. You know, things are falling, um, we got to find them in different places. <laughs> Sometimes she has to protect them and ward them off from not hitting somebody or somebody crashing into them because they don't know better. You get to the line, and people are waiting in back, and it's hindering the process. It's taking longer, right? Sometimes you, maybe you get into the cart, and there's things in the cart that you didn't have on your list. <laughs> and you're thinking, man, we could have done this better. It could have been more efficient. It could have been more perfect. But what's interesting is at the end of that shopping trip, you know what? The kids aren't sad because they didn't do it perfectly. They're not, they're not like, oh, my goodness, I wish I wouldn't have, you know, bumped into that cereal and knocked it over, or I wish I wouldn't have uh, said the wrong fruit when I, when I put the fruit up. They're just happy that they get to participate with the parent they're just happy that they get to enjoy that opportunity to just be part of the plan of their parent. And just, I get to be with mommy and just help. And out of all the drama that happens in a store, you know what our our response usually is? Although some of you guys are thinking about the time when you yelled at them. But usually our response, when you see your son and daughter just excited to be part of the journey, I don't care how much they've messed up, you say, great job. Joe, great job, Connor. Great job, Lauren. Eli, great job, buddy. As you're picking up the bananas off the floor. <laughs> right? And at that moment, you're not concerned about how perfect or imperfect the process was either. You're just so excited that your son and daughter wanted to participate with you. That's all you care about. And then what's so cool is no matter how imperfect it was, they always get stickers. They'll give him a reward. And then usually Sarah will say, hey, great job, guys, and sometimes she'll give him a reward, you know, give him a granola bar or something. And I thought to myself, that's kingdom. Jesus does not need our help. He's not concerned how perfect you do something. He's not concerned if you get it all together. In fact, you're messing up the process. I'm messing things up. I'm hindering other people. My baggage hinders kingdom many times. Jesus could do this way better than I could. But I'm blown away that our savior sits there and says, "You did good. Thanks for participating." It seems to me that kingdom life is not about how much you do, it's not about the quantity. All he's asking from us is, will you participate? If I've died for you and I've rose for you, will you just get in the game? That seems to me to be the biblical picture. Our conclusion, that's the reality of life. As he tells you and me, just... I just want you to participate. The question I ask is, the question we ask our community is not, are you perfect? We want to be a body where we challenge people to participate. The resurrection does many things. Hopefully you've seen through these verses that Christ, the resurrection is about Christ's perfection. It's not ours. The resurrection is about participating. He's just asking you to be part of God's plan. See, the resurrection reinterprets the death. He says, the death now means something. Without the resurrection, he's just a dead dude. But when he he rises from the dead, it exposits the death. It says, oh, 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 I need to go back to the death then. That must have meant something. Why'd you die? He says, I died so you can participate. You were an enemy. Because of me, you're a friend. It's about life and immortality. See, I, to be honest, I just think I think selfishly. I'm like, how do you not become a Christian? You get life and immortality. You get King Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Christian life is crazy, but you get you get the true treasure, true life and immortality. That's what the resurrection is about. I want to challenge you. If you are not a believer in here today, if you are struggling or wondering what it means. What is okay? What do I do? I hope that the gospel is clear today. I hope you get it. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. About Him coming to Earth. Him setting aside His royalty. Him living a perfect life. Said He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And then He dies on the cross. He sheds His blood, and He does it to free us. He frees us from. From knowing, like, oh my goodness, all these things are on me. This weight is on me. And he says, I know it's on you. But hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Right? God is saying that now I want you to receive me. Right now, if you've been playing games, I ask that this resurrection Sunday you will become a Christian. Wow. I love the gospel because Jesus has asked, would you believe and put your trust, all of who you are in Jesus? Will you repent of your sin and say, Lord, I was foolish of thinking I can do this myself. Consume life and cheat death. It won't happen. The astounding statistic is that one out of one people die. Jesus says, no, believe in me, repent of your sin, and, and just allow me to be your savior. And then God says, I give you a new heart. I give you a new purpose. I give you a new call. You become my child. And if you are a believer today, I want you to rejoice. Don't leave. Don't When you get caught up in an in, in unhealthy sin pattern or scenario, rejoice that he saved you and he'll keep you. And, and what Jesus said, and this is one of my favorite verses I love, he says, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's our cry. That's our theme. Today, Resurrection Sunday. He has overcome the world because the, the grave couldn't, couldn't keep Jesus. He went to the grave, and he came out to tell us that he's risen. Live life in light of that. Okay, let's pray. Dear Jesus,